Hello and welcome to the Animation Communication Podcast, your source for discussion about animation, film, fandom, and more. So please join your host, I Love Kim Possible a Lot, or KP, and Lauren Kizich, the Abbey Roadie, for today's discussion. If you like what you hear, please remember to support by giving a like, a follow, as well as subscribing to the main I Love Kim Possible a Lot channel on YouTube. Spread the word and keep being a part of a great community. This episode is appropriate for all ages. Hi everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Animation Communication. Um, We're still doing spooky time, so... Ooh, spooky time, technically. So, um, I'm (laughs) KP, if you're new... uh, with me as usual, I have Lauren who is here, and then Hello. we have Ooh. my friend Peter who Super does spooky. things on the internet. Peter, you want to tell people what you do on the internet? Hello. Um. Well, uh, in years past, uh, my name is Pikapedi. I go by the aliases. Um, for a while, I was uh basically a cartoon Pikachu. Um, hence the name. Uh. Was in uh, doing a lot of work for the Pony fandom. Then I got dragged into internet drama with I Hit Everything and Cool Cat. And eventually from there, which kind of one after another led me a job at my actual day job now where I work in emerging tech. And then that led to me donning on a VR headset, making a Shiba Inu. And now I'm like pop you fur <laughs> in the furry fandom as a Shiba Inu. Called the Shiba King. What is? Can, it's can really just, weird. Can you define a poppy fur? Because people might not know what that is. <laughs> oh God, this sounds so <laughs> cringe. So it's just poppy fur <laughs> is when uh, you're apparently you become a drinking game in the furry fandom because this my my one of my old coworkers made a series called the Shiba King. A series on his YouTube, and apparently it is a drink now a drinking game amongst the furry fandom, where every time we say "fucking send it," they take a shot or something. I don't know what they do. They marathon it. So then, when I went to one of these conventions, they saw my name and they're like, "You're the Shiba King." I'm like, I had no idea this was popular. So like a popular <laughs> like personality in the furry community, right? I okay, guess so. I'm gonna, yes. I'm gonna put. Yeah, pop. It's a playoff of popular. I. I yeah, you know. yeah. Math is yes. hard. Um, I'm, gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna put you in a in a corner. You wanna you wanna explain to people what a furry is for people who don't know. Oh, <laughs> um. I feel like enough people are here. They know what a furry it's, is. Uh, Your internet I don't know. I don't know. But you know, <laughs> if if it... despite what uh, the CSI. Was it CSI Las Vegas episode would tell you, no, it's not a sex thing. There are those people that do make it a sex thing, but that's that's a minority. Mostly, it's just mm-hmm. um, one giant costume party. Actually, just, just go there, have an yeah. excuse, get your elaborate robes on or whatever suit is, and go to a hotel and have a convention, and then you drink just tons of alcohol, and it's fun. Yay, alcohol. <laughs> basically <laughs> um but other than that i mean for me it's just fun um as uh just a fun way to do stuff but uh other people take it too far you know if you always have those individuals in the group 
any any sort of community that take it too far and they're just like, oh yeah, I I just like I love to look at all the furry porn all day, and I I am just an undeveloped <laughs> human being. <laughs> so anyway, on a on a somewhat normal topic, uh, Lauren, what are you ready for some headlines? I guess. Yeah. Well, first of all, uh, sorry to date this episode a little bit, but hey, today happens to be the tenth anniversary of of MLP Friendship Is Magic. Uh, of their airing and also of the hub network apparently um so which you know turned into discovery family so it was good while it lasted but anyway uh <laughs> uh so hey good good day for uh bronies former and current to to unite <laughs> uh, and also uh i wanted to bring up that uh pixar's soul movie uh is actually going to be coming out on Disney Plus instead of in theaters uh, due to the COVID pandemic. Uh, that uh, it's going to be coming out on Disney Plus on December 25th and with no, Thank and with God. no surcharge. <laughs> so go, yeah, wow. so no, it, no, no going the way of Mulan. Thank goodness. It's a, it's a Christmas miracle. Wow. That's literally, it's on Christmas. It's a huge, uh, <laughs> uh, it's huge financial risk, <laughs> I guess. I don't know. Interesting. I don't know if, if if enough people I think subscribe and 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 actually get Disney Plus. I think enough people will be convinced that they can. I don't know. Maybe it'll encourage more people to get it because then they realize, oh, we don't have to pay extra to watch this. And even then, by then, uh, Mulan will also not have the surcharge. Yeah, if yeah, I you're remember correct. as well. By December, it'll be it'll come with your subscription. So um, they were only trying to make sure that the yeah the. They were trying to test it out for revenue sake, but I, yeah, it it didn't do too hot. But well, anyway. now we know. Um, but I heard, yeah, I think Mulan isn't really that great of a movie anyway. So I guess you can watch it for the lulls, and we'll go from there. Merry Christmas. Um, but yeah, Soul looks good, so I'm excited <laughs> to see what they do with Soul. And I guess they're hurting financially a lot because I imagine they, um. Yeah, with the with the other news story that we're gonna cover, but you know, if they're willing to put it on um this was not like Mulan where they were just like about to release it and spend all the money on the promotion materials and they were like, Oh wait, this is one that they could have technically held on to until like whenever the hell this is over, but you know, um sad for Disney, I guess. Yeah, so uh what would you like to discuss of our headlines? Uh, me or Peter? Okay, give me a second. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts, Peter, so far? Um, <clears throat> well, um, I mean, I, I have a lot to talk about. Probably your viewers don't even know about the whole thing, um, landscape that's happening in the VR community, which is really interesting to talk about. If you want to. Um, so, basically... Yeah, go uh, ahead and share. The major... So companies are still scrambling to get together like expos and conventions and all that stuff. Uh, they're really t- keeping an eye on uh, Facebook bought up Oculus a while back and they're coming mm-hmm. out with the Quest 2, which uh, it's going to be launched in stores within three days on October 13th. That's their flagship standalone headset, um, but the second version is a little bit more powerful. Um People like the Quest because it doesn't have you don't have to meddle with 
wires or cables. It's just really just you just put it on, go, connects to your Wi-Fi, and then you could, you know, uh, it use you don't have to set up any base stations it's inside out tracking. Uh, however, it is Facebook. <laughs> Facebook owns this thing. And this is where it got up puts a lot of people is because in order to keep to know this headset knows where it is in your in your living space, it uses cameras and tracks your room via the camera system. So now it knows it can start using image recognition to identify whatever's in your room. And you know how Facebook mm. loves the data mind. Um, oh boy. And so they're really pushing to have to one up their platform, their social platform by making this all encompassing VR uh place called Facebook Horizons, which has a closed um, early access. You need to get a representative to come and uh, basically guide you around like a tour, uh, like a like a theme park tour. And they're it was it was kind of weird because you go there and the guy's like really over enthusiastic. Like, hey, welcome to Facebook Horizons. Like anything can I get you? I was like, yeah, I wanted to I put together this avatar. That's a great avatar. Finger gun. Bing, bang. I'm like, okay, cool. But like, uh, can I, can I have like purple skin? And they're like, uh, what do you mean? I can get you a purple shirt. I'm like, no, no, no. I want my skin to be purple. That I think that'd be kind of cool. And they're like, uh, no, no, you can only be human. Regular skin tone toes. I was like, oh, well, okay. I'll just go back to VR chat where I could be like a dog or a can of, you know, can of soup or even a whatever, can of soup. whatever I wanted to be. <laughs> Yeah, you could be literally, you'd be whatever, whatever you want. You could just be like, I feel like being a can of soup on the floor today. Poof, you can make I'm an avatar. Soup. But um, so that being said, um, I've been mostly spending most of my time at VR chat because I feel that the marriage between animating, so you're basically a lot, uh, you're basically a cartoon character in, uh, in real time. So you're combining like actual improv performance with animated assets to put on another show in real time so it this weird multi-layered element of presenting animation that's never really been done before it's crazy um and it's all just basically motion capture technology and it's really funny because i also work in the tech industry and you know in the tech industry they're still like writing articles like well can uh VR equipment be used to replace, you know, conventions and expos. And, and it's just like, you know, tech industry, tech industry, look, 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 like me and, uh, you know, VR chat, like the, the furries got together. They, they wanted to go to a furry con. So they redid the entire, the entirety of uh, the hotel lobby of the hotel in Berlin. Um, so they could have Euro ferns, but they call it virtual ferns. We also have like, we also had a, full body dance competition <laughs> uh, where the guy who actually won was dancing in his play space, but his avatar was broadcasted. We had a virtual working video board and the guy who won had like, had a uh, wireless VR with uh, full body tracking and Heelys. So his routine was like a mixture of break dancing, figure skating, and ballet. <laughs> like oh you can gosh. do a convention, tech industry. Tech industry, you could do a convention. We did it. Or at look least at, help look at what we did. And the tech industry looks back and like, well, yeah, I mean that that doesn't really count. So why not? Well, because you know it's not a, well, it's, it's not really backed by a big company, and it's you know it's a hobbyist. 
what we're really interested in is alt space or Facebook for Horizon. I'm like, God, Jesus Christ. Whatever. Okay, go go to your boring Play-Doh sandbox. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's yeah. Uh, that's what's going on there. Um, it's uh, it's been pretty crazy. I barely noticed the whole lockdown pandemic because of VR. It's been been nuts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Even though I live like right next to uh, right next to to New York City, um, and then during April when you know shit was getting real and everyone was scared, I I saw like refrigerated trucks leaving, um, the hospitals, and I was just like, you, I don't want to be outside. I'm just gonna run back to my living room and be cartoon dog and VR and have a laser tag tournament <laughs> or Valley's hard. <laughs> no, but it's it's been really like, nice. I've been. I feel like it's. Meant. It's the equivalent of Obi Wan riding that green screen. Obi Wan riding blissfully in his little speeder while everything is exploding behind. Him. Yeah, yeah. Or it's kind of like you know just checking out and jacking into the Matrix. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, uh, well, there was a San Diego or not a yeah. No, was it San Diego or New York Comic Con? Either way, there was teaser footage released and a theme song clip of the new show, The Ghost and Molly McGee, which is on Disney Channel, if I recall correctly. If it doesn't get moved to Disney XD or whatever. <laughs> um, but yeah, it got released uh, um, and all over social media and people are getting really hyped up for it because, I mean, we don't get enough. I feel like we don't get enough ghost show content. Not like we used to with like Danny Phantom and stuff like that. So it's cool to see, uh, yeah, OG Real Ghostbusters. And, uh, you know, every once in a while we get a ghost show. And this is a, it's cool to see a revival of the ghost show. Uh, but in, and I guess what, as far as we can tell, just a more cutesy, like sitcom kind of format. Um, and uh, yeah, it looks really promising. And uh, the dynamics between the main characters is really cute. Uh, so uh, I'm looking forward to this. So yeah, and I've, uh, there's there's so much good content coming out of Disney TV animation now. It's like, I mean, they always were, but I mean, especially just like in the middle of a pandemic that everybody's like looking forward to new content. Oh, well, I'll, I'll <laughs> tell you this. Um, so uh, during the, when everything was shutting down, you know, a lot of Hollywood was just like, oh crap, what do we do? What do we do? Like we can't like film live action things. And and the entire like eye of Sauron of that is Hollywood turned its gaze onto the valley in Burbank and said, animation studios, you must carry the weight of entire Hollywood during this pandemic. And so animation has been booming. Like if you, if I was, uh, if I just graduated college, like maybe um, let's say like, you know, spring of uh 2019 that would give me like an entire summer of me like really trying to get together and get my my stuff together to get into the industry and then let's say 2020 hit like all of those people are getting hired like it would have been the, as an animator it was like the perfect time to graduate because because you, you can work at home um uh, basically uh, we've and it's been really nice because they all the animators are like yes yeah, see animation uh industry we can work from home, get our stuff done. We don't need to go to a giant studio and be in this massive, uh, 
you know, this massive city where the rent is like so ridiculous high, we could still do our jobs working from home. And so just at the beginning, like around April, like every single animation studio, there's new project, everything was like, like everyone was being hired. It was crazy. Yeah, yeah. It, it's like, it, it's just, it's, it's crazy to see how much more animated content is coming out. And it's like the best thing ever. Because now we can be like, hey, to all of you who said cartoons and animation, you know, oh, it's for little kids. It's not important. Uh, you know, you can <laughs> go stick it where the sun don't shine because. <laughs> but I really <laughs> loved watching. Kids animation and adult animation, it's all all coming around and it, it's saving us from this pandemic. <laughs> what I what I really loved was uh, watching all the industry um professionals, you know, be forced to like broadcast out of their home. Like, man, this is hard. And then all of like collectively, all of the YouTubers and Twitch streamers are like, well, 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 allow us to introduce ourselves. <laughs> oh, Lord. Yeah. Um, I don't really have anything else unless there's more headlines you wanted to talk about, Lauren. Did you want to uh, mention the I, Disney I layoffs or anything? Uh, well, I mean, now that you mentioned it. Sorry. Uh... Sorry. I didn't mean to drink it. <laughs> Uh, well, there was the, uh, unfortunately, I mean, it's, it's kind of sad that we have to end the headlines on more or less a, uh, a sour note, but, uh, yeah, there was the whole layoff of like 28,000 cast members due to the, especially due to the California Disney parks being, uh, shut down. Uh, meanwhile, all the other Disney parks all over the world, uh, have reopened and are doing fine with COVID, uh, with COVID safety guidelines. And, uh, yeah, as far as, if, if I remember this all correctly uh bob Iger has not been happy with gavin newsom who's the governor of california and he even left the like the COVID, it was almost like he left like the, uh, the covid response board or something for california he was just like he was just like he had it up to here because it, it, it and i don't blame him and he's just like so yeah so it's uh yeah it it's it's a thing that's happened and on top of that uh as a, a news update as of, I guess, the past day or two, um, two of the Disney's, uh, of Disney's California shows, which is one was at DCA, which is California Adventure, and the other one's at Disneyland proper, uh, is Mickey and the Magical Map, and both, and the Frozen show that originally replaced the Aladdin show at the Hyperion, uh, are both shut down, at least as far as I can tell, for good. Um, and, and that sucks because the cast for both shows never got to have that final curtain call. They never got to have their finishing performances. They it's all been just it's it's been rotten, absolutely rotten. And I feel so bad for all the cast members that have gone through this, been going through this for months, waiting with bated breath to go back. And it's just yeah, it's it's just awful. Yeah, now I'm sad. Now that was a bad idea. Okay, um, on a happier note then. I do have I do have a happier one more okay. little happier headline to try and finish that off. It'll be brief. Okay, so I can try to save this at, at the very least, somewhat related to Disney in a way uh, by extension. Glenn Keane, uh, who you know is a, a Disney legend, Disney animator, the man, a former Disney animator, uh, who's been cranking out his own original stuff uh, uh, as of the past several years. Um, he has the the musical animated film Over the Moon. That is coming out exclusively on Netflix on October twenty third. Oh wow! I didn't know uh, that and about so that. far, yeah. And uh, so it'll be it'll be good. Uh, a, lo a lot of reviews are coming in that some people are like, you know, 
it's like, uh, you know, what? I, I like it, you know, so uh, generally positive reviews. Uh, but I guess we'll have to see what the general public thinks because, you know, critics can say what they want, but it's up to the viewers to make to gauge that for themselves. And so I'm personally looking really looking forward to it. It looks really good based off of the trailers. Like visually, it is stunning um, and just and so colorful and, and vibrant and just eh, I just I, I'm and plus you know, I'm a sucker for musicals. So if we can get <laughs> something like that, yeah, I'm down. No, no bias, but like a little bias. <laughs> so another news, um, I got a headline. So speaking of an animator, we all oh, yeah, probably have known about. <laughs> Um, Dom Hertzfeld, uh, if you know him from the internet sensation, The Rejected Cartoons, um, and he was an animator back in 2008. He went on tour, which was like really unheard of for an animator to go on tour. Uh, it's because he shot all his films in a 35mm film, um, camera. Uh, he just mm. released... Oh, and he had a, uh, an Oscar uh, nominee a couple of times, I think. Uh for his short films has a couple of Emmys under his belt. Uh, wait, Annie's has a couple of Annie's under his belt, which are basically the animation industry's version of Oscars. But yeah, he just released a new film today. Uh, it's called, um, what was it called? Um, something earth number three. Uh, if you have to watch it, you can rent it on uh, Vimeo of all places. <laughs> so Yeah. You want to Google what it's called? Um, real quick? Yeah, yeah. Let me, let me just. Uh, Dom, Dom, okay, and then we'll get to the actual like interview part. <laughs> uh, da, da. it's um, uh, come on. Uh, sorry about this. The drag down this. Let me just go to my uh, YouTube. Edit it out. It's fine. Oh, okay, <laughs> editors, you know what to do. <laughs> uh, da, da, da. World of Tomorrow. Episode, yeah. It's, oh. So his new film is called World of Tomorrow, Episode 3, The Absent Destination of David Prime. It's okay. pretty bizarre, very surreal. Um, definitely his stuff is like really out there, but it's uh, it's one of my inspirations. That's cool. neat. Yeah, I like okay. that, that there's a lot more content coming out. And so, yeah, it seems almost by the day there seems to be stuff either announced or coming out. So that's awesome. Happy horse anniversary! There's like something totally not horse related, like that you can go watch now, today. Yay. <laughs> so, horse anniversary. Um, so, anyway, I asked um, Peter to be here. Yeah, that's what I called because people are like, happy pony anniversary. And I'm just like, no, like we can make this like funnier. All so right, cool. I said happy horse anniversary. I put it on Twitter. It's 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 legit. Anyway, um, so the reason I invited um Peter here because Peter is probably like one of the people in my contacts that knows a lot um about traditional animation. Like, like correct me if I'm wrong, Peter, but you've done like um, cell shading stuff just to for funsies, right? Just to try it. <laughs> yes, I have. Um, and I will stay on this if the traditional animators of yesteryear for computers had computers. They would have easily thrown those paints away. <laughs> but yes, I have done traditional, even cel-shaded animation just, just to try it once. A oh, terrible process. I can see why why the <laughs> was very much willing to switch to computers. Yeah. Um, and do you want to describe what cel-shading is for people who are like, what is okay, that? Okay, so... Uh -huh. so. Um, 
So depending on how young your listeners are, uh, dial back the dials in time of the clock. So way before the years of where there's digital computers and imagery and all within film was a chemical process. So the way it would work, you'd have this tape. It's called film. Uh, it has this silver nitrate, silver, silver something. There's a silver compound in it. But it's very sensitive to light. It burns. It just will flash burns. So put that in a dark box, call the camera, stick a lens on it so it can focus the light onto the film, open the shutter, it's burned into the strip of film. That's so whatever the camera sees that's uh, what it you know burns on the strip of film. Then you later take it, develop it, and then you could run it through a projector and bada, bada bing, bada boom, you got enough of them together, you got a movie. So mm-hmm. if I were going to make a, an animation, all right, there are a few ways I could do this, all right? I could draw my character on a sheet of paper, point the camera at it, open up the shutter, psh, that's one frame, wind the camera up to the next frame, put another sheet of paper, you know, draw the character on it, take a snapshot, the next frame then get enough of them together. It's like a giant flip book. And now you have an animated cartoon. But if it's just paper, if I wanted the character to be in the background, like, you know, like walking down the street or, you know, just doing something with the background, I'd have to redraw that background every single frame. And that would be just, just so much more work than it needs to be done. So how do you get a character to be in front of a background, especially a painted background, so it's all colorful, without you trying to redraw the background every single time. And that's where cells come into play. They are, uh, first, they get their name from, they first use celluloid, um, a celluloid sheet. Uh, If you ever had uh, experience with celluloid, it's very fragile, just completely fragile. Uh, Moisture can get to it, it can crinkle. So eventually they uh, turned to some acetone based or plastic basically it's like a thick plastic sheet what do you do is you take your ink pen you um ink it on the one side then you flip it over Mm -hmm. and then you could paint with like acrylic paint normally it's cheap paint because you're gonna go through a lot of it and you three coats of paint of the character's color on the on the uh back side so when you flip it up back around it looks all clean and nice and then you can put it in there and then the background, your nicely painted background, can show through, and you only see the characters. And then you take a snapshot, boom, there's your frame. That's that's mm-hmm. cellular animation. That's where it comes from, and it is a just a terrible process. You have to do three coats of paint <laughs> on each frame. There's 24 frames a second, and you have to wear gloves. You have to overmix your paint because if you run out of paint of that pigment, oh, so help you. Oh yeah, you're mm-hmm. you're just screwed. Yeah, and not only that, but if you have multiple layers of this paint, uh, of like you know, because to save the amount of paint or the amount of frames that it had to draw, let's say you had a character, he's standing still, but only his you know his head is talking, like he's in a pose, and and so the head is you know you only have to redraw the head. So the celluloid, especially the celluloid, had like a slight tint to it. So in order for it to not look weird, you would have to offset the color of the paint to to mismatch or so so it, it looked correct when it's under another layer of the celluloid on the character. It was it was nuts. 
now you just like go on the computer hit a color palette just fill in the line even with vector you don't even have to sit there and draw it in you can just go bam and it's colored it's great still mm -hmm. the animation still takes a heck of a long time though but if you look at oh, yeah. cartoons from um the 1990s uh and we're not don't look at Animaniacs. Animaniacs and Freakazoid is like the cream of the crop there. We're talking about like your <laughs> Joe Schmo budget. Like Darkwing Duck. Darkwing Duck would kind be of kind thing. of one. Um, we're talking about like maybe like mid-90s. Uh, you know, Dexter's Lab would be definitely one. Um, mm -hmm. But if you look at your average cartoons then and the amount of like times the characters really didn't move, it, they were very simple movements. And then you look at what the cartoons are coming out with now. It's like the backgrounds are really detailed. The movement is uh, is a lot more fluid. You'll notice that the movement in uh, modern day cartoons, mid tier budget range, are still a lot more fluid than what came out, uh, you know, back in the nineteen nineties. It's because a lot of that mm -hmm. extra manual grunt work has been cut out of animation for good reason. So, so we're in a we're in a. a very good time for animated shows that are coming out now because now we have really nice programs that will automatically fill in some lighting uh so you don't have to manually go through and you know paint in the lighting you can add like a filter to it so now when the character's walking through like a forest and the sun you can have like automatic like shadows of leaves go across them the programs mm -hmm. are getting very very complicated and pro productions are util um, capitalizing on it which is really cool yeah, that's neat. Um, and how was your like? Um, what were you animating? Because I remember, but for people who don't, what were you animating in um, the self shaded stuff? Um, like, what were the subjects? Do you remember? Oh, I was just doing the. There was the one shot in the uh, Sea Breeze animation. Sorry. Um, when he turns, uh, the I made a little My Little Pony uh, Sea Breeze animation. Turns around. Um, it was a take on Dragon Ball. <laughs> It's like, uh, like, Seabreeze, what does the scouter say of the power level? It's over 99,000. <laughs> what? 99,000? And um, just that shot of him turning around going, what? 99,000? That shot, I think, was all cell frames. Um, and you, you, you don't even know. Like, you, you can't even tell that it was cell frames. Mm -hmm. So I was just like, it looks exactly the same as the <laughs> digital stuff. <laughs> Why am I doing... 12 hours, 24 hours of extra work. This is ludicrous. <laughs> okay, well, that now I guess you know what cell frames are if you didn't know that already. So that's how they used to make animation back like before 2005-ish, right? Is my math right on that? Um, well, before I think, 2000, uh, at least. Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends was like the really hard use of flash um alone i think that's that was their big groundbreaking um production and cartoon yeah. network so prior to that that and mucha lucha mucha lucha yeah so any cartoons prior to that i know eventually spongebob switched over to a digital process but at the beginning the first seasons are are cell frames i actually have a few of them yeah you collect oh, nice. cell frames right yeah. That's neat. Yeah, I hang them up in my studio room. It's really nice. Um, what are what's the price for a cell um just a random cell out of curiosity? So Depends it's it. 
Yeah, it depends. Um, so it depends on a key, a number of key things. One, it depends on the production. Um, so obviously any uh Disney uh Disney production is gonna be monstrously overpriced, <laughs> you know. Um so mm-hmm. it depends on on the production. Uh who was animating that particular shot at the time. So which animator? So if you're getting like you know, like uh, Don Bluth or Glenn Keane, you know, like, oh, Glenn Keane animated this shot, you know, that's uh, that's good. That's going to hike up the price, yeah. the artist um, behind it. Um, also, it, it depends on if it's a keyframe or if it's an in-between. Mm-hmm. So if it's a keyframe, keyframes are basically the drawings that define the scene. All right. Like you base all of the other drawings based off of this drawing. So it remains consistent. Mm-hmm. If it's a keyframe, it's normally really well posed. It doesn't look wonky. You know, it, it's everything proportioned properly. That is also really expensive as well. That that will hike up the price um, again. And also, if it's been under the camera, that is uh, also will hike up the price. And also, which characters are in the shots? Um, if you have like the only time in the entirety of this film where these two characters are actually in the same shot with each other and it was animated by their top tier animators, it's a keyframe and you know, you could, these can get very pricey. You're talking about now you're getting into the realms of where this is like a, uh, you know, like a fine art piece. Now you're getting into gallery, uh, gallery prices, you know, where it's like couple, you know, like five digits wow. this for the single piece. Um, mm. Obviously, I don't have that kind of cash to throw <laughs> around. So I settle for like Mario Super Show was the weird in between. that was like 15 bucks on eBay. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, you think about it when you have 24 or at least bare minimum 12 of these per second. Uh, 20 minute cartoon you're gonna have a lot of cell frames now if you go through an entire season uh you're gonna have just you know thousands hundreds of thousands of these things just done because once they under the camera you expose the frame what do you do with right a lot of studios uh at the beginning would just throw them out because they were they were just gonna take up storage space uh it wasn't until I think the 1990s or um, or even like late 80s when they kind of collected together, I was like, wait a minute, we could we could sell these things. It's like, yeah, I mean, we could because that would help <laughs> with uh, the people going out back after hours because people would literally go to the dumpsters of animation studios wow. and, and collect the stuff they threw out. Yeah, that's. I mean, it, yeah, it's you have to consider now. It's like we archive this stuff so much more versus back then because i guess it just wasn't at the time considered something to to really archive because they're like well we shot the film we got the film and we can save some of this stuff but for the most part i mean yeah like again to your point it was the storage thing yeah that they didn't really think twice about it but then people are like then you got the collectors and the and the fans and everything they're like no but this is cool and then they go, wait a second. Cha-ching. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. Wow. Exactly. Okay. Um, so. Go ahead. Uh, that's basically how they work. No, that's that's exactly it. Yeah. 
Okay, so we'll backtrack a little bit. So um, for those who are listening, we're going to go in depth as far as like how the animation process works. Because we've touched about we've touched upon it like a little bit being like, hey, well, you get a bunch of drawings and you put them together. And what do you got? You got an animation. But like for people are like, but like how? So, um, you know, I'm hoping that like if you're listening to this episode, you can at least like have an idea of how to like get you know, maybe a traditional animation or maybe, like, you know, a very basic animation done and, like, what are, like, how do you make sure it doesn't suck and, you know, like, those kind of questions. So, um, to backtrack a little bit, um, so Peter mentioned 24 frames per second and I think that's the, that's still the industry standard, right, Peter? Yeah, that's still the industry standard if you're hand-drawing the cartoon. So, um, I know that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles that I've been seeing GIFs of on Twitter, which looks really freaking fantastic. That's still, you know, delivered 24 frames a second. Uh, you don't necessarily have to draw a new drawing every, you know, 24 times per second. Mm-hmm. It depends on, you know, how smooth you want to make it. So, but basically you're just making a, a giant flip book. It's basically hasn't really changed. Um, we can have the computer help with making some of the in-betweens. Uh, normally it does a pretty bad job, but uh, <laughs> it's just, it's been getting better. But it's, yeah, it's just basically that core fundamentals. You're drawing one frame and then another frame and then another frame. Um, nice thing about animation is that you don't have to do it within uh, the entirety, like, you know, you don't have to go frame one, frame two, frame three, frame four, mm-hmm. frame five. Uh, you can go to frame, you know, one and then frame 10, and then you try to draw frame five because that's in the middle of it. Then you have a nice path work of like the in between drawings you can do. Um, you know, nowadays we use tablets on a digital computer, but if you don't even have that, you can just get a light box and get printer paper and uh, and use that yeah. to make a flip book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one um, of the, this is this might get too technical, so if it's boring, I'm sorry. But like, what are the two types? Um, I know there like there's two types of ways you can punch the paper. Like, there's two like cuts, as far as the pegs. Yeah, yeah. So, um, obviously, when you're gonna make your animation and you stack paper on top of each other, obviously you don't want those papers to wiggle around, and move around, and because you want them straight and in a very fixed position. So when you flip back through them, your character's not going to, you know, like basically have a seizure <laughs> on its way as it's walking across. It's fixed solid. So there's two ways. There's your standard three-hole punch, which is just three holes. Um, but that, even though it's a three-hole punch and you could get pegs that are three holes, that still allows for a room of error for the pages to wiggle. Um, so then you get this super special punch called the Acme Punch, named after the Looney Tunes. You know, Acme was a was a joke in the uh, 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 animation industry because it was called Acme for some some acronym. But that's why like Wildly Coyote was ordered from Acme. It was an animator joke. But it was like a square a circle peg in the middle, and then on the side it was like two elongated pegs and obviously when you get that it's very special it's very niche so obviously the price of that's going to be jacked up so to get a whole punch like that it's like five hundred (laughs) dollars wow it's nuts 
I didn't but know for, that. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you get the paper punch, the whole punch, you know. But it's really nice because you could just, uh, for a studio, if you're a business, you buy that one single punch. And now you can have entire productions be made off of that one punch, mm -hmm. the whole punch. You don't have to go and buy all of your employees a computer, a Wacom Cintiq, and software license seats. I mean, you're talking about like, you know, it gets up to like $3,000 right. per head that you have in the studio. Mm -hmm. um, so if you are really want to run a very low budget, um, very minimalist uh, with overhead, you can still get that Acme Punch for $500 investment. And then all of your animators now have paper. So. Yeah, that's yeah. This so you just buy copy paper at that point. Yeah, yeah. Like you can just use printer paper and like call it a day and like flip your stuff. Yeah. Um, and then to backtrack a little bit, so like how film works is, um, I think after like fifteen frames per second, the the shots like of each picture, um, blend together. So it's called the persistence of vision. So it like tricks your brain to make you think the character like the. Like this goes with live action too, but it tricks your brain to think that the pictures are moving. So I think you yes. know mm -hmm. the more we get like fancy and stuff, we'll go to more higher and higher bits of um, a frame rate, just only because it looks smoother. So I think so. Twenty four is always the animation standard, and it might like it depends on the production, like what the film standard is. So sometimes it's like fifteen if they're like doing something like a little niche um you know jump in if i'm wrong but is do you know if live action stuff is also 24 frames oh no i i had oh, the call are we uh i heard a i heard a discord thing are we still are we still oh, on she she disconnected oh. all right i'm here now you I died. died i pressed the wrong button <laughs> um editor don't... cut this <laughs> Don't quote me on this. I don't really know too much about the film industry. Um, I know a lot of productions. Uh, it's if it's a heavy, uh, if it's a heavy special effects um, movie like Marvel. You know, you're in front of a lot of green screen and everything like that. Uh, it's you know, it's very action movie. It's easier to composite and key out the green screen if your every single frame is like super, super sharp. So mm -hmm. they tend to film at a higher frame rate um, and then just flood it with lights. Uh, so so you get really sharp image every single frame because you have to think about when the shutters open on your camera, uh, anything that moves within that time before the shutter closes and goes to the next frame, that's uh, that's going to be motion blur. And to deal with motion blur on a uh, in like a very heavy compositing shot, very heavy compositing um, uh, film is a nightmare. So I know a lot of those productions tend to film at a higher frame rate. But I mean, when you get into higher and higher frame rates, you kind of get a uh, diminishing return. Mm -hmm. um, so when you get into like animation, let's say, yeah, you're gonna you can start animating it. 45 frames a second, 60 frames a second. But when you get up to there, your margin of error that you can get away with is gets smaller and smaller and smaller. So when you get up mm -hmm. to 60 frames a second, because you can, I can animate something on what's called fours. 
So every fourth frame on, t- on the 24 frames per second bases, uh, there's a new drawing. You, they do this a lot in, uh, in anime productions. Um, you know, and so that's why they kind of look more choppy. But because it's they do less drawings, they get more detailed drawings. So a lot mm-hmm. more there's a lot more details in the characters from anime shows than there are in American shows because you know they can add they can spend the time to add more detail. But so I can animate something of fours, and it looks really really good. I was like, wow, that's really good. The motion's there, the white's there, and everything that. Okay, now I'm going to bring it up to what's called twos, which is now I'm going to double the frames, and I can do that now. All of my spacing and timing mistakes that I got away with while it's on fours now seem very much more apparent on twos. It's like, Ooh, it's kind of wiggles and seems really bad and choppy. And then when I put it on ones, it's almost like a nightmare just to manage all of that vibrating wiggleness. Cause now my margin of error is so small. When you go up to 60 frames per second, it's ridiculous. And it's, you take a film and you see really smooth 2d uh, animation on 60 uh, on 24 frames per second. And then you see like, Smooth animation on 60 frames a second. It's just kind of like, to, in, I do, I'm not much of a gamer. In my eyes, I'm just like, uh, they kind of look the same. <laughs> <laughs> I don't see what yeah. other people are seeing, how it's better. It's, I guess I'm, I guess because I've never really gamed that much. It's just like, I don't, it's so much more work and so much more pain to go through for just like, basically identically looking pieces of artwork Mm -hmm. yeah it makes me think of like the when people automatically smooth footage and they put that onto animation which i've been seeing a lot of that footage lately just for people that have been proving a point saying how this doesn't work because it's like the whole illusion of of pacing and timing uh the the way a character carries weight the, the impact of like let's say if a character gets hit suddenly that impact is diminished because there's too many frames smoothing mm-hmm. it out it's like no the whole thing is you're supposed the, the less you do less with more or you do yeah you do more with less i should say sorry uh because it's um uh because it makes it snappier to have less frames mm-hmm. if you want something to move fast you don't put more frames into it you use less that's why when you think of somebody, a character getting sucker punched in a, in a Looney Tunes cartoon, uh, they often just cheat it with a smear uh, if they're throwing the punch. And it's like, and then they're socked smack against the wall within a few frames mm-hmm. rather than 60 of them. <laughs> so. So um, I guess that's like, well, why don't you take over some of the questions, Lauren, because my, my. My throat is hurting a little bit, so where do you want to start? Should we do animation yeah, yeah. principles, or you want to like ask more of the basic questions? Well, uh, well, I was gonna say, well, let's move to the principles. So, I guess, um, uh, what would you consider like for people who are starting at an animation? There are some like the do's and don'ts, uh, and uh, of doing animation, and it's just like we, we talked about, uh, kind of along the lines of doing, you know, more frames where that doesn't exactly work, especially in when you're doing traditional animation, whether that be digital or on, on paper. I've got a different take on that. Um, it's There's like about four levels. Okay, if you're starting out as an animator, um, mm-hmm. there's like four like chakra gates you need to go through, um, basically. Like, like basically leveling up as an animator. Um, the first... Uh, the first 
gate, and this is this is disregarding drawing, right? So this this uh, implies to 3D animators, stop motion animators, um, uh, you know, puppeteer animators. Uh, this is disregarding mm -hmm. drawing. Uh, first gate that you have to go through is uh, the mechanics of animation. Does it move correctly? Does that horse walk like a horse? Does it look like it's walking mm -hmm. like a, like the, does a horse walk that way? Does, is that person walking that way? Like, is that is that a human walk cycle? Is that a horse walk cycle? Is this uh, is this the way someone jumps? Is this the way someone picks up an object? Does it look correct mechanically? Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, then when you got that principle down, and this this takes a long time to get down. Don't get me wrong. This is not something you can learn over the weekend. Then the next level of being an animator is the uh, the emotion side of it. All right. And uh, and the motion exaggeration. So yes, you know how to make a horse walk, all right. But how do you make uh, an angry horse walk? You know, how do you mm -hmm. exaggerate so it looks like he's really angry? He's, you know, I'm in the wrong hay patch, you know. And um, how do you make it where you know, uh, yes, that person's running, but um, he's running with with glee, with joy. Uh, you know, how do you have it where? Uh, how do you exaggerate it? a um someone lifting up a box uh so it it uh it's really heavy you know it's a really heavy and maybe you know he's lifting it up and his his uh you see something in his back go out you know like he just pulled pulled his back and how do you how do you add that emotion element and the timing to it and as well it's basically exaggeration and then the the third level of being an animator is the acting side of it, all right? So you got the you got the mechanics down, you got the emotion and timing down, but is it that character? You know, is that the way that, let's say from Incredibles, you know, is that the way that Bob is gonna get angry? Is that the way that mm -hmm. his hands move? Is this the way, you know, where his eyes are looking? Is he is he thinking the way that character would think? So now it's more or less so of making it look correctly but more so, like, how good of an actor are is the animator? Can they get inside the uh, the the character's skull? Can they, you know, make, you know, maybe the char that particular character, their hands are fidgety, and they're, um, you know, they're always like picking at their nails or something like that. You know, that level of acting. Mm -hmm. And then the fourth chakra gate is when you just become a god and you're like James Baxter or something. I don't know. You do stuff that James no other animator Baxter. can do. <laughs> yeah, it's basically when you you've reached the level where it's like it, you've gone full Frankenstein and you can you're yeah. just like it lives, it lives. So uh, yeah, it's it, yeah, it's just you know like uh, I think a lot of it is. It comes down to being rooted in observation because especially when you just if you can take in not only uh, stuff that you can research but just watching things in real life do you know about that the, tetris, is like, the tetris effect the um yeah, please, please explain okay, let, me, let me just uh let me take a water yeah that's all right tetris effect so when uh tetris first came out it's actually the psychological Phenomenon is named after the game. When Tetris came out, it's basically, you know, a game of stacking blocks until they disappear. Well, people have noticed after playing Tetris for a while, they got really good at, like, packing a car, you know, for, like, a road trip. Mm -hmm. or, 
or thinking about how these blocks would fit together. And because, you know, their brain was always on that mode. And they started noticing that out on the ruler, it's called the Tetris effect. So you get, once you go full deep dive animation study, and you're really trying to learn to be like a feature level animator, you start to get that Tetris effect. So you're watching someone walk down the street, maybe they're a big heavy set person. And I could walk down the street and, uh, you know, watch them walk down and, and seeing their belly and their, you know, their, their shoulders jiggle. And then it's just like, ah, oh, it's jiggling on twos, you know, or this is the way the graph editor would lay out if, if this was uh, animated with, with the character. Like my brain automatically does that. Mm-hmm. It's interesting enough because during this whole COVID thing, I've took up amateur boxing because <laughs> I found a boxing coach. And because of my animation background, I'm able to see when he shifts his weight in first strike so I can mm. react faster. <laughs> animation helps you survive in real life, guys. <laughs> yes, animation helps you survive in real life. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, especially when you catch anticipation of yep. something, or you know, the recoil, the the you know, the the. It's just when you catch all of those little physical cues, and mm-hmm. again, it all comes down to observation. So once you like look at something and you can catch something enough, uh, it then it translates into hopefully that you. you translate that into your work being like yeah i'm yeah, not see, i'm not advocating for animators to go out and get in fights i mean let's, let's be honest here you're not gonna walk out first day i've read the animator survival <laughs> i can dodge punches and then you know turns out that's a hard lesson to learn and punch oh no <laughs> but yeah it's it's uh but no it's like it, it's so important to just to kind of just stop and you watch and you can or you watch a movie and you watch the breakdowns of how how something looks convincing that you can believe okay this character is going to go in for a punch this one or a character this is a heavy character this is how they carry their weight and this is how they do it with their personality type and yeah it's it's all comes down to like yeah to just seeing the world around you and uh and observing how things move observing physics observing weight and it's funny because physics was like my least favorite science (laughs) it's a lot less Uh, mathy animation's a lot less mathy and more like uh once you i mean once you get to a certain animator level it's less about um realistic it's less about being realistic and more about being believable so Mm -hmm. So when there's a couple of times, like I'm animating something right now as we speak in this uh, podcast, it's um, but a character slams his fist down on the counter. And in order for me to make that believable, I literally had his fist compress into like a pancake and then pop back up. And that seems more impactful. Obviously, in yeah. real life, that doesn't happen. You break your hand. Mm-hmm. But there is some element to that because if you ever seen a punch to the face in slow motion you know ever watch the slow-mo guys on youtube and they always show Mm -hmm. like people getting smacked or their hands slapping you see the hand deforms in ways that you're like oh man i didn't even think like the face could deform like that um that's still you know it's still there but it's not as it's not as exaggerated in animation um so so it's more about being believable rather than being realistic. So it's also an element yeah. of knowing when to exaggerate and when when not to exaggerate. Yeah, I think that's another thing where I've, I've noticed where you uh, like I personally love Don Bluth's animation, 
But it, I noticed that a lot of people seem to think like, oh, it kind of throws me off because he pushes his expressions and physicality way too hard. And I'm like, okay, I see that as a valid criticism. And it is a stylistic choice at the end of the day. Um, because some people really do like that. There's there there's a couple of things that Don Bluth do that crack me up. Okay, one <laughs> thing is that he's infatuated with some, there's always a character in any film just with massive bushy eyebrows. Like the character has this <laughs> massive eyebrow king on. It's like, whoa. Um, and there's always a, a weird, he loves putting the the camera inside the mouth of like, you know, if the character's going to be eaten, like, oh no. Um, <laughs> he always has that shot where it's like, the camera is inside the throat of the, the creature and you see the character battling the tongue and teeth and stuff. And I'm like, Don, do you have a, do you have a kink that uh, you're not, you're unaware of? Like, why is this shot repeatedly in several of your films? Um, yeah. Like, but it's the way he pushes his, it's like the way he pushes his expressions uh, in particular. Like, yeah, again, it's, it's the faces. I feel like more than anything, uh that some people like that and some people don't like that that they think oh it's just oh, it looks like a bunch of overacting when yes it's it, it can be considered that and then at the end of the day but it, it's still his work he'll do what he wants with it so um yeah. but yeah it it i get why some people would be thrown off by it because some people go like i don't know it's it, it just uh it may be just too much to take in at once and not make it believable it seems like, like again it does seem like overacting uh to to a number of people um, it's just so i think it's just people are just so used to disney and so every studio is like trying to copy disney and stuff like that and mm-hmm. then they got this other guy come along and it's like hey I, look at this I, I made it my way and there was like yo that's different we don't like different here what is this an artistic like, and then there's also yeah, what is this? An artistic field? It's supposed and then there's to be gray like and West- dull and all the same. Every <laughs> every character must have a bean shape for a head and this CalArt smile. Oh God! Don't even get us started. Because <laughs> that that was a whole that was the whole thing that like John Kay started was that whole the whole CalArt's argument. Um, but I mean, it, it, I, how I see it nowadays, it's just like how every phase there's always different phases of animation in different eras so everybody's gonna start like once one company or production company starts doing it a certain way everybody else wants to cash in on what's in- successful interesting so enough, start doing though, the same style yeah we can talk about that so so in the 1980s all right um animation industry and a lot of productions their job was to sell toys um mm-hmm. And, you know, Hasbro was really good at that. And that's why a lot of designs in the 1980s, like He-Man, Transformers, um, My Little Pony, um, it's really kind of chunky and blocky because the cheap toys, you just have plastic injected mold. So it was really angular and very, you know, looked, had to look like the toy. Um, they designed the toy first and make the cartoon on it um, later. That's why He-Man... It's such a weird show because they just had a whole bunch of leftover designs. They just cobbled together into a show and they're, <laughs> uh, picking them up. Like, okay, well, obviously the guy with the skull is obviously the bad guy, you know, and just kind of going through them. Nowadays, it seems like animations are designed to be uh, on a T-shirt or a plushie doll, you know, like mm-hmm. a little plush doll. So if we're going to push uh, merchandise, which still is 
a big defining proponent of whether or not a show is going to last or not. Mm -hmm. So the reason why SpongeBob is still around is because God, good God, is it a cash cow? (laughs) Think about all Mm -hmm. the SpongeBob bath products you can think of. SpongeBob beach towels, SpongeBob, you know, sand buckets, SpongeBob, this, it just, he just sells. Um, Whereas like a, you know, a weird show, like, like Samurai Jack, let's say, uh, mm-hmm. it's not really much you can sell of Samurai Jack and merchandise. And ironically enough, the biggest cash cow of all of animation productions is when they want to, is what all animation productions are getting to, is ironically on ice. If you can get your show to the point where you have an on ice, um, you know, featurette that people actually tend. <laughs> oh my God. That is going to <laughs> propel your show's budget to the sky because think about it $70 per head. They normally, uh, you know, you have a family of four go there. Kids want some merchandise or sl- slushy. The venues are normally really cheap to rent because they're just ice rinks. Um, mm-hmm. Normally in, out in the middle of not really downtown metropolitan area, but it's already like kind of like in a, a smaller city. So like, you know, so that's yeah. like the only entertainment for those people all around. And, and it's, it's a billion dollar industry. It's almost yeah. all profits. <laughs> it's crazy. When I found this out, I was like, what really? Like all yeah, the of these shows can... on this station are, are basically, uh, funded by their on ice spongebob show <laughs> what yeah you would think about like all the on ice or the live stage shows yeah it's like anything that's like live performance because then it's like okay the kids want to go see them in person that is the huge seller because it's like it's not going to the theme park or whatever if they can't be at a theme park it's going to an arena it's going and to you a don't, theater yeah, it's theme going park, to an ice rink it's going to at the theme park, you have tons of overhead. You have maintenance, you have the staffing, mm-hmm. you have the cleanly, the hygiene, everything like that. With mm-hmm. an on-ice show, you have your staff. They're paid um, uh, salary-based, you know? And and normally, to to be an on-ice show, you don't really have training. They kind of go and pick up uh, basically former um, Olympic figure skaters or or just anybody who was in that business you know they pick up people who already know how to uh, figure skate mm-hmm. and they uh, pay them a salary and you just travel around with them they have their travel trailers or whatever um so you don't really have to pay it especially if you own the equipment that they're traveling around in and then you just rent out a venue and then you're just raking in 70 dollars per head that attends these shows it's crazy do three shows a day my God, that's, that's tons of money. Yeah, as and yeah, and then at the end of the day, it it all it's all rooted in uh in the in the show or the in the property, whatever it is that is gonna be. It's those characters were yeah specifically designed. Uh, some of them are just specifically designed to make money as merchandise and stuff like that. A lot of them are. Uh, yeah. And and also when you think about it, it, because they got to crank out a ton of material nowadays, designs are a lot more simple because if you have a million people working on on a show and overseas, they got to make sure that everybody can draw or or they can model or they can animate all the same way. So it's going to be 
so they got to make sure that things are simple enough that, you know, multiple people, it can go through multiple people's hands or across their, all their computers and it'll all look seamless. Um, and in the end, it does make for easier to easier to, to create merchandise. <laughs> I'm just thinking about yeah. all this now. That's a lot. <laughs> like we need to start our own on ice it's, show. It's all merchandise merchandising. Merchandise. It's it's a huge machine. Um and and I'm happy that the industry and the tool sets um are getting cheaper, uh where people can work from home and you have animators like uh Vizzy Pop. Um, you know, mm-hmm. independent animators able to self-fund their own very, very professional-looking productions. Um, mm-hmm. You know, basically form a company, and that's allowable. Like that's doable now. Um, and cause back then, you know, in, uh, for the internet, having your own base studio and having a production of that caliber in the independent animation field was just. You were just ludicrous. <laughs> like you were gonna make a you're gonna make a pilot episode. It's gonna have what? Wait, these designs with like this character alone has spots, gradients, and hash marks. Mm-hmm. What are you thinking? That's why I but, think uh, of frame by frame. I'm just like you have to maintain a a gradient frame by frame, or this oh, a, no. an obscene amount of spots or stripes frame oh, by God, frame. It's, it's terrible. It's Chester. Chester Cheetah to to traditionally animate Chester Cheetah for Cheetos commercials was like probably the worst experience <laughs> I had to just draw all of those spots and you have to draw it correctly because otherwise you have it looked like spots are dancing around his body if he moves and it that's mm-hmm. really not you know it's not a good he's got he's got the chicken so, yeah. pox no it's more like more like a a mat of bugs and fleas crawling all over him every yeah, frame they're that's always what it would moving. look like. <laughs> Just make them different colors so it looks like like a, a disco ball. <laughs> do you, uh, do you want that's that's how you get animators to cry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I I guess it could technically like it segues into with with those fundamentals and, and understanding animation. Uh, I guess it. I, I as a personal question to you. Uh, do you prefer key poses or animating straight ahead, or do you say just call it depending on the, the process, I guess, and depending on the character? Well, um, first off, you should do your, your do your research. So prior to you animating anything, you should get some reference footage, or even just kind of like act out with like even hand puppets what you kind of want the timing to be like. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then it depends on the shot. Uh, so if it's a very dialogue-heavy um, character standing there, obviously you want your key poses. Um, if it's going to be like a very heavy body mechanics shot where the character's running from platform to platform, swinging, um, dodging a punch, or just you know like a really action-y type shot, straight ahead on your roughs seem to do a lot better than trying to key pose your roughs. Mm-hmm. But this is after when you've done all of your research. Um, right. And you kind of know when things are going to happen. Um, and I say roughs because you're obviously going to have to redo and rework it and clean it up afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the mistake that a lot of new animators make. People try to get in animations. They try, they look at the fine, because 
all you see in cartoons are the final product. They don't see the production that goes underneath it. So when you mm -hmm. start to animate a shot, you want to get the motion done as quickly as possible with keyframes. Or well, not keyframes, but with stick figures. Basically, just rough it out. Just get the motion right. Because you really just you want to get the character to move right, just to feel right. Don't worry about how if the character's on model, which means it looks like it's you know drawn by the same person. It's that's what's called on model. Then after you get the motion right, then you can lay in another layer or another sheet of paper on top of paper, and then you can focus. Okay, now we got to put the character on model, and I'll meticulously spend that extra time per frame so it looks all pretty. It's a nice pretty drawing. Um, and that's that's basic. That's you know that's a step that a lot of new animators don't do, and that's why their animations kind of tend up to look up really stiff. Mm -hmm. And um, mm -hmm. you know they turn their head and raise the paw, and you know at the same time it looks really robotic. Uh, or they, I've seen new animators they uh, they draw the character, but then any part that they moves on the character they try to like erase just that part, and then and then redraw the arm with it moving down which doesn't really work because now just the only part of that character that's like the line is wiggling is like this redrawn arm that just looks really bad <laughs> because when you do that you're limited to only that arm moving outside of the character space and you're also forgetting like anatomy sometimes when you move the arm down the elbow and the shoulder have to rotate as well but they're not doing that. So it just looks like a disjointed, you know, thing that's just kind of going down from them. Uh, it's better just to redraw the entire character because um, every part of the body pulls on another parts of the body. That's why when you like, if you hurt your back, you know, your, your leg also aches because your like leg muscles are pulling on your back muscles and mm -hmm. everything affects everything else. So... Well, it's also good to understand anatomy too. Yeah, it's <laughs> anatomy. Then, yeah. It's just yeah. Well, figure. Don't be afraid of figure drawing people because then you you get however no, like connects, please figure draw you have to build before it. you animate. I mean, you can do both. Don't be but don't, don't be scared of, of figure drawing classes. I know when I went into college, I think it was my freshman year. I'd already taken figure drawing classes years before that, and so. I just remember seeing a whole bunch of my fellow animator class <laughs> classmen <laughs> kind of like shaking like leaves outside the classroom. I'm like, guys, there's nothing to be worried about. They're not going to, the naked model isn't going to leap at you or something. <laughs> <laughs> just like, it's going to be fine. It's just to study. That That's what they're paid to do is to just pose so you can understand from the ground up. And, and you know, it's not just to study the form from an external point of view but when you take those classes you have to understand the muscle build and how everything connects underneath the skin and how the bones all connect it's like it all leads up to when you animate that it is convincing mm -hmm. and that yeah. you understand and make it like you said make it believable doesn't have to be accurate just believable and even then you have to root that in uh in you know observing real things and seeing like okay well that's why i think of a a like to bring it back to the Incredibles of when of when Mr. Incredible he throws the uh what was it the Omnidroid he throws it into uh into the lava pit and he laughs 
and he throws his back out. And so <laughs> it's just thinking about that where he it, it is exaggerated movement, but to to sell something that is very real and having to know, okay, he'd have to twist himself in that way and you'd have to pose him like gripping a certain part of his back where he would have thrown it out. But that's what it's like. I always think of like, yeah, something like, yeah, throwing out your back. It's it's a good reference point saying like, okay, where's the pain? <laughs> yeah. Um, and then you can brag to all your friends that you saw a naked girl, you know. You don't have to tell them the context. <laughs> Please don't I make mean... it a bragging point. You can say... <laughs> What well, I always uh, find interesting about uh, um, life drawing kind of also makes you jaded because, like, you know, you draw, like, let's say, uh, um, uh, comic book style superheroes all day. And it's just like, you know, you try to make the most fit, most attractive uh, looking people, um, mm -hmm. you know, because they're superheroes. And so almost like, uh, you, know, you, you know, everyone wants to do that over and over again. So if you get like a nice, young, fit, attractive person in front of you, you're just like, oh, OK, well, just going through the motions again. But then you get someone who's just like old and like mm -hmm. has a lot of life on them. And you're just like, oh man, wait, where did they get that scar on that leg? Like, what's the story behind that? And oh man, look at that way the skin sags over here. Like, oh, this is really much more interesting to draw than, you know, a very fit, attractive person. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember I had one of my figure drawing uh, models I had ages ago was actually the model they used uh for modeling shrek so i mean he <laughs> was a bigger guy and he was and he he was also used to model like other like he was used to model mythical creatures like uh, giants and ogres and stuff like oh other my. things like that for like video games and movies and, and lore nice. and all that kind of stuff so he and he was super super cool um and uh, but he was just like he and what was great he just loved the dramatics so he would just the best dramatic poses <laughs> and oh, it just made that for the best scenarios so hard to um to and hold they have to hold that pose, pose. Yeah. Mm -hmm. but he loved it and uh yeah it was and and, and that's why you, yeah you, variety of not just uh, uh poses but a variety of the body shapes like to your point um that makes that makes for much more interesting uh end product be it animated or not um and uh yeah it, that's why character design it's so important now especially in seeing that variety nowadays and seeing how shapes are that's why i love steven silver stuff especially because he seemed to like there was a lot of that laying out the shapes and then dendy tartakovsky uh for laying <laughs> out different shapes and dynamic shapes for character uh, character structure and character buildup and uh and t t how that tells a story and how you can yeah. utilize those shapes when you're animating the character to tell their story or to it, tell the to tell the audience how they feel what they're reacting to and just having a, you know, having fun with it not having to just again making it believable <laughs> of course but it's all rooted in figure drawing people so don't don't be afraid of it <laughs> 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 well, if it was a cartoon penis, it could, you know. It's, you know <laughs> the thing. Nothing stopping it's you like, there. Yeah, those are, but that's the nice thing about animation. Um, 
you uh especially if you're thinking about it as a career it's it's the older i get um while still animating it's just so much more fun um i have the mindset of basically i just have to have the mindset of a perpetual 12 year old and think of like the craziest wackiest things and the more people my age that have gone into like business jobs become <laughs> so much more boring because like and i've got a client right here um working for and i have to make a character eat oh they accidentally eat uh soap in these muffins and now joke is that they vomit out a whole bunch of soap bubbles and rock it backwards and i have to think about oh, how does that look you know how does that actually like functions and you know how is how i'm going to make that funny and, and that's just concepts and ideas that you in challenges you don't get in any other job which mm -hmm. is it's hilarious just like and just think of mentos and coke but like in a person yeah, like <laughs> out of their mouth, you know, and how's their eyes bugging out? Yeah, so it's really, it's I guess really that, fun. that 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 does I guess come down to uh, uh, that that could be categorized as advice. To, um, what other advice might you have for anybody that wants to get into this field or is in this field and just is kind of like, okay, now I'm here, but now what? <laughs> so, um. And, you know, this is a good part to leave off of. So uh, I was, when I graduated college and I was very dead set on being an animator at such and such studio and being like the people I look up to, um, it took me a while to realize that those people that I look up to and those positions I want to be in, those jobs are already taken by those people. Like, mm -hmm. you're not, you know, unless one of them leaves, or something changes within the company um, of that company, those, those jobs aren't going to open up. So, and in trying to force yourself into a peg of, I want to do, you know, oh, I must do this to get this job, or I must do this because that's what the industry wants. It's really just going to burn you out. It's really only when I threw my hands up in the air and said, fuck it. I want to animate a Pikachu slapping his butt to Gundam style because, you know, I think that shit's hilarious and let's go. <laughs> and that's at that point, that's when my career started, like started to take off is when I just did the stuff that I wanted to do because I just wanted to do them. Um, mm -hmm. And that's when you yourself as an artist are going to shine through. I'm not copying anybody. I make stuff because I think the world needs to see this thing that I think is going to be cool at the end. And that's really the only reason why I've made it. Mm -hmm. And that's passion. And that um, just drive that I just, you know, just go forth and tackle every obstacle. That's really just been what's been keeping me employed and having a career. That's really it. Because people, if you just exude that passion and you just be an honest person and you just really love to do all the stuff um people pick up on it give me money and mm -hmm. they just gravitate towards you that's really just all it is like i wanted to make a you know i had uh let's go you know, circle back to the vr stuff and i went hmm I, I really love this vr platform but i don't see any really good animated models on here so i want to make a you know, a model that I want to see where I can push the boundaries of the expressions on the character and, and make it look like, you know, 
they're actually talking to like a Disney character or something like that, you know, mm -hmm. given the limitations. So I did that. I mean, Shiba Inu model. And, um, you know, and I did it because I wanted to. And then people like, gravitate towards that. And now I have this entire Shiba community on the Metasphere. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and then I was just like, man, I really want to get in shape. Let's, you know, and then I saw on a freaking um, uh telegram chat this guy was like hey i teach boxing anybody want to learn boxing i was like yes do it i i just don't say no <laughs> and now i'm doing that it's and it's that passion just has been carrying me yeah that, and it, I, at the end of the day you gotta love what you do yeah it, and yeah. and people will follow soon after it i guess if, if you build it they will come sort of <laughs> so kind it's of. uh in a way if you build it and you are passionate about it that there will there is somebody out there who will see it and they will also like it and then it's kind of the domino effect yeah um, and then the people if you're really passionate about it and you find other people that are passionate about the same thing you're passionate about and then next thing you know you have several you know network contacts under your your belt um or just in your roster who are now your friends and mm -hmm. and uh and without ever going to a con and handing out business cards, will you please, uh, hi, I just graduated college. Uh, I don't know you, know me, but I've been you a fan of your work. And can I, you know, here's my business card. I mean, that person's going to, okay, great. Yeah, I don't know you or your work. I don't even know how, how your, your work ethic is. But what's gotten you, what will get you hired is like one of your friends getting a job at the, um, um, let's say at some place. And uh, then their supervisor walks in and goes like, hey, is, uh, you know, we got any new positions. Uh, anybody does anybody here know of someone looking? And um, and your friend could, you know, if they're a really good friend, they're like, oh, yeah, my friend over here, he's piped up. I can vouch for him. He's really good. And those are that's that's going to carry you more than, you know, getting you out there and going to these cons and handing out business cards. I've never mm -hmm. once like, quote unquote, networked like, you know, went out networking, quote unquote. It's always just been, I've been doing my thing and I love doing my thing. And I just meet people along the way. Yeah. I, I, the best connections have come from like, just, that's why sometimes when I even go to conventions or even just uh, social gatherings, I first start the conversation literally just by getting to know the person on like, the, on what they're interested in and stuff like that. And then sometimes just the, my name comes after. And so that way it doesn't, it doesn't come across as like, I, you know, here I am so-and-so, this is what I do. Here's my card. It's like, oh, what are you talking? It's like, so what are you talking about? And then it's just like, oh, you're talking about this show. I love that show too. Don't you love the, the character designs on it and stuff? And so yeah, you get into that and then you go, by the way, I'm, <laughs> so it's just kind of like, that way it seems I have it's, gotten it that more natural when i when i get. do go to do the cons like fan cons or whatever i do i do try to make that a little easier by uh by wearing a, a shirt with my logo on it because that's what mm -hmm. people identify me with um but there's been even then plenty of times i've been walking elevator someone sees my shirt points to it they're like oh man dude i i love that animator's like work like where does he has a merchandise store is where did you get that shirt and i'm like I, I made it this I, I'm I'm that animator guy and they're like no no way hello that's my favorite is when it's it seems almost unbelievable like okay I'll believe meeting Brad Pitt but I can't believe I'm meeting Pika Petey <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> 
<laughs> not just some dude. <laughs> but it's fun. No, normally, normally after uh, if they're going to plays, they're like, "Oh man," because you know cons are great because you meet those type of people and they're just like, "Oh man." Oh uh, well, I'm just I was just having to go up to a room party. You want to come? I'm like hell's yeah, let's go room party. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, it's really nice to be able to like actually go into the process and talk about just like the the, the building blocks of animation because hey, it, it all has to come from somewhere, and it's good to know where that comes from, especially from someone as well seasoned as Peter here. So I'm really it, and plus I followed your work for a long time, so it's really. It was really cool to have you on today. Oh yeah, it's been a it's been an excellent time. All right, cool. Yeah, thanks for having me on board. Good and, guy. I was gonna say, where where can people find you if they aren't already following you? <laughs> um, so, I mean, they can find me on YouTube and watch my animations. Um, but I've been mostly doing work for other people since uh. Every time I sit down and do my own stuff, I'm always just like, uh they definitely find me on VR chat, but most of the time, uh to keep in contact what's going on. Uh Twitter is basically the only place. Uh Twitter and YouTube. Uh my Twitter is Peter J. K. Yacy, because I made a typo when I first signed up for Twitter <laughs> upon realizing it. Um I uh tried to change it to Peter J. Casey, but that account was already taken by another peter j casey and i'm like wait you're peter j casey and i'm peter j casey too and then turns out he's a really cool guy and so we talk every <laughs> now and then um but yeah youtube Wikipedia <laughs> animations uh and uh and then you see me uh an orange shiba inu roaming around on vr chat if you ever uh get on late night east coast time i normally get on around 11 o'clock 10 it's kind of fun time to wind down i don't have a tv <laughs> I, don't, I don't have any Netflix or TV. That's my entertainment. Late night Shiva parties. Late night Shiva parties. <laughs> we did it. Um, all right. And then I'll just make an announcement because I'm going to forget. Um, so we're doing a Halloween stream um, the Friday before Halloween. I we, we haven't finalized the date and times yet, but if you guys, we might do charity stuff or we might just like chill. I'm not sure. It depends on like what we can get away with tech wise because like, we don't know what the fuck we're doing in the <laughs> time. Um, welcome to the KP website. Yay. So uh, if you're bored and want to spend Friday night with Lauren and I and our fun cast of character characters, depending on like who we get and what we're doing, then, you know, it will be like probably around like evening time East Coast ish um, where you can wear your costume. I'm sure Lauren will be on camera. I might. Because I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't have a costume. I'm lame. But Lauren can show off. Lauren can be both my costumes since she has two. So it's, <laughs> um, yeah. Um, so see you guys then, and make sure you subscribe to places and um, watch the main channel content because like we're gaining subscribers. But I'm like, part of that is watching the videos. <laughs> guys, please watch the videos <laughs> when they come out. Um, I don't know, Lauren. Any other final closing thoughts? Uh, you know. I, I, I don't really have any closing thoughts. Uh, be kind. See you be, next time. See you next time. Be kind to each other. Be kind to yourself. <laughs> if that doesn't sound sappy, I don't know. <laughs> eat some chocolate. Eat some, but not in excess. Eat, 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 eat some dark chocolate. It it has it has uh, has antioxidants in it. Keep you healthy.
everyone. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. Good night. Thank you so much for listening to Animation Communication on YouTube, Spotify, or your favorite podcast provider. We are really hoping this show makes a difference in how people view animation and media, as well as giving and providing advice for people all over the world who like or want to join the animation or media industry. If you liked what you heard, please remember to subscribe and rate those five stars, as well as tell your friends. Don't forget to subscribe to our main YouTube channel, I Love Kim Possible A Lot, and turn those notifications on. My name is Scribbler, and you have been listening to Animation Communication. <laughs>